Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shear. And as every week, we dedicate this for the Fuhr Shalema. Feliza Shlamis Berachah Basrachal Hinda. She needs major miracles, and um, we're hoping and praying and anticipating to see them soon. This Shabbos, Pashas Yisrei. Going to read about the Aseris Hadibris, the Ten Commandments. Today was Tuba Shvat, the Rosh Hashanah for the trees. And there's enough significance between the two. Tubishvat is the famous story. Pasik tells us Kia Adam Eitzasada, person represented by the tree of the field. There was the Nadvarna, Madhka Nadvarna was in a town where there was an anti Semitic um, czar landlord, whoever he was, and came Sukkah's time and he decided he's not allowing anyone to build a Sukkah. And Madhkan Advana had no doubts what he was supposed to do, what he had to do. And of course he built himself his Sukkah. When the police or the messengers from the anti-Semitic ruler came to take down the sukkah, to tell him to take down the sukkah, he told them to tell him that he's an enikul of the Meya Pirameshlana. And that should suffice. And they returned to him and they told him this answer. And he abolished the decree and everybody was able to build the sukkahs. The question came up, of course, as to what was that all about? And the story went as follows. In the time of Meir Premishtana, there was a priest, a Galach, who had ten strapping sons. They were healthy, robust fellows. The priest owned a lot of land. On his land, he had a grove of trees, apple trees. But he felt that it would be more profitable if he took down those trees and planted whatever else he wanted to plant there. So he felled ten trees. A short while later, his oldest son fell ill and died. This kept happening. One son after the other was dying. (coughs) Excuse me. Ultimately, the tenth son, the youngest, had fallen ill and was lying on his deathbed. And the priest was beside himself. What can he possibly do to save his child? And they told him that the Jews have this miracle worker, the holy Jew, the Meyer Go see him. Maybe he can help you. And he came to the Meir Pramishlana. Meir Pramishlana said to him, The Torah tells us, Kia Odom the man is represented by the tree of the field. And since you 
took down these trees, Hashem is taking down his trees. And so the man immediately replanted the trees and saved this one last child. This Paritz was a grandson of that child. So when they said they all knew from the family in time and history everybody knew of this miracle how he had saved this one last child and therefore was respected, revered and everybody backed down. Tu Bishvat the 15th of the month Jewish calendar, the 15th of the month, is always a very special day, being that it is Siyarabash the Musa, Seyah tells us. The moon is at full view. We see a full moon. And since the Jews are compared to the Levana, the Jews are compared to the moon. So therefore, the time of the month which has this auspicious moment is the 15th, in the middle of the month similarly we find Tezvav Tishrei Tezvav Nisan the middle of the month which is the, ha- the holidays of Pesach and, Shvu- and Sukkot On Tu the trees go through their ruling on Rosh Hashanah. The trees go through their Piskedin. And my daughter in seminary in Canada said it's going to be a very, very... They're going to get very late to school today in the morning because they have to hug all the trees and say happy birthday. the birthday of the trees Chag Ha'ilanot as it's called in Israel ironically it's to some extent an insignificant holiday practically after all it's the trees, not us but yet you'll find that throughout many many Jewish circles Tu Bishvat holds a tremendous celebration. There are those that have a Tu B'Shvat Seder. There are the Rebbe's have a Tu B'Shvat Tish. The Rebbe Fabrengd on Tu B'Shvat as well, often time. Those tremendous, magnificent platters of fruit brought for the Rebbe on his table. The Rebbe, out of respect for those who brought him the fruit, took a grape or two off the platter and left the rest for whoever grabbed the whole of it first. So, to Bishvat therefore, we also need to involve and need to take stock on ourselves on this special day to see how and what we have to do to improve ourselves on this holy day. Many different customs vary, as I said. There are those that make sure they eat 15 fruits. <coughs> I don't even know you can name 15 fruits. Well, anything that's made a bracha, I'll so therefore, I guess you can, you can count in cashews and almonds, raisins, grapes. No, I'm not going to even make the attempt to name the 15 fruits. But I'm sure it's not a hard thing to do for those that do and hold that custom. Obviously, it's customary to make a Shekhi Yono on this day. 
is either the night before or on the day itself, or both. And with this, the Jewish nation celebrates yet another Yom Tif that's not involved in a war, not, not involved in a decree, and not involved in any murders, just playing a holiday for its own right and its own being. This week's Pasha, as we said, is Pasha Yisrael. Albeit a short Pasha, very, very full, packed, packed Pasha with many, many different lessons. Pasha opens with a lesson. Vayishma Yisrael. Yisrael heard. The Pasha's name is a lesson. Yisrael. Who was this Yisrael? Vayishma Yisrael, first of all, I've said this before, I'm very, I guess, attached to this word. Vayishma Yisrael, Yisrael heard what the Almighty did to Moshe and to the Jews. And the Rashi tells us of the miracles that the Jews experienced, the war with Amalek, Kriyas Yams of the splitting of the Red Sea. But then, very, very strange, the next Pasuk says that what was Yisrael's reaction after hearing about this? He comes with Zipporah, Moshe's wife and the children, Eliezer and his brother. Firstly, there's something strange in the wording. If he did it to the Jews, to the whole nation, obviously it happened to Moshe as well. Why enumerate especially something that the Almighty did to Moshe? And why is the direct reaction that he brings Zipporah with the children of the Ezra? and his brother. Let us go back to the time where Moshe meets the Almighty at the snare, the burning bush, and he decides ultimately to go down with Zipporah and the children to Mitzrayim to take the Jews out as God commands him. His brother Aaron comes to greet him. And his brother Aaron sees Sephora with the children, and he says, Where are they going? He said, Are they coming with me? Aaron says, We don't have enough problems. We need more people down there. No. Let her go back to her father. Sephora was a very bright woman. Obviously, she was married to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Tzipporah turns to Moshe and says, um, wait a minute, it's not so simple. If I let you go without me, you're going for what purpose? To free the Jews. Yeah, you're going to free the Jews. What does that entail? We're going to take the Jews and we're going to leave Egypt. Sephora says, let me ask you a hypothetical question. I don't know if she used the word hypothetical in the year 2448, but let us say she used the word. I want to ask you a hypothetical question. She says, what happens if Pari says to you, Maisha, you stay here and the Jews can leave. Would you say no? Would you deny the Jewish nation that? He says, no, of course not. If that's what it takes, of course that's what I'll do. Aha, aha. So let me get this straight. You could sacrifice yourself 
to the extent that I will never know where you are again. I would never see you again. As long as the Jews get out of Egypt. True or false? And he says, yes, of course, true. So I should remain in Iguna because you're going off gallivanting on God's missions? I should remember, remain a woman that doesn't have a husband and can't remarry and can't do anything? It doesn't work. It's a little bit awkward, a little absurd. Samesh says, okay, I will give you a get. I'll divorce you. I'll give you a get now. Like they used to give a get before they went to war. I'll give you a get. God willing, I'll come back. We'll see what to do. At the time, Moshe was a Koyen. He was from Shevet Levi, but he was a Koyen. A Koyen may not marry a divorced woman. So by giving Tzipporah a get, he could not remarry her. Because he's a Koyen. However, because Moshe was negligent and reneged on the fact that he was told, given the mission, to go free the Jews, and he said, eh, let somebody else, shlach send Mashiach already, whatever his pshat was, but because he gave a, a doubt, a hiccup, in the mission of God, God said, you are no longer a Kayin, Aaron will be the Kayin, and you are now a Levi, a lady does not have that problem. A lady can marry a divorced woman. Vayishma Yisra, Yisra heard what the Almighty did to Moshe. He demoted him to a lady. So now Yisra knew that Moshe could remarry his wife. So the first thing Yisra does, Vayikach Yisra, Tzipayra And he brings Tzipayra as Tzipayra. He was a very bright man, Yisrael. And the Parsha tells us in the beginning, Yisrael makes a tremendous declaration in chapter 18, verse 11. And Yisrael says, Now I know that God is greater than any other God. Now, <laughs> first question would be, how would he know about every other God? And the answer is, because he was a priest for every other God. The Zayar HaKadosh tells us, the Holy Zohar says, when he made this confession, when he made this proclamation, this announcement, that God this was the preface, this was the introduction to Matan Torah, to us receiving the Torah on Sinai. Because Yisrael represented what was called in Zayar, Sitra Akhradi Yisatr Smola, the extreme left of the other side of spirit, of coast, of holiness. He represented the side of Klippa that had no Kedusha, no holiness in it whatsoever. After though, he conquers this Sitra And the Sitra itself confesses. The Sitra itself praises and exalts the name of God. Now he achieved and ascertained a level which was a tremendous status. And therefore, this is considered an introduction to Kabbalah Satera. Tera is not just a study. It's not just a knowledge that sharpens our minds. We don't succeed with Tera only by studying the words of Tera. 
in order to achieve what Teira really means to us, what Teira is for us, one needs to ultimately devote themselves specially. This is what we learn from Yisrael. Just like Matan Teira was only after Yisrael's confession So too, if we want to really take upon ourselves Torah and to understand it the way it should be, it's not enough that our holy soul wants to attach itself, wants to become one with God, wants to accept the Torah, but rather the person needs to work on oneself, that his body should want Torah. The person should, even the physical things that he wants, should be connected with Teira. So therefore he will totally, his essence, totally devotes and confesses and accepts the beauty of God and Teira. And thereby the person can learn Teira the way it should be learned after taking over the Guf Gashmi, which is the Yisrael that each and every person has within themselves, and they want to be Mekayim, the Ratzin of Hashem, then they can become a vessel for Kabbalah Satayla and to understand it the way it should be. know the story, although it's not in this week's Parsha, of Meisha Rabbeinu comes down on Sinai, and he sees what's going on with the Jews, and he breaks the Luchas. I've told this story, I believe, as well before, of a Hebrew school. It was a conservative Hebrew school. And conservative, they don't really, I guess, give the children what they really need. And this fellow came to see the conservative, an Orthodox rabbi came in to see what goes on in their Hebrew school. And he comes inside to a classroom and he asks randomly to the children, who broke the Luchais? And you can see all the children's faces drop. They all start looking down at their shoes. They're shuffling. Finally, he says again, but apparently one child thought or felt that he was focused on him. Actually, I gave him this week. Yesterday. When you look at somebody, they feel it. Because their essence feels your stare. So the child must have felt that the rabbi was focusing on him, looking at him again, and the child, the rabbi asked, who broke the luchas? And the child burst out crying, it wasn't me. I promise it wasn't me. The rabbi was furious. He runs out and he goes to the principal. And he tells him this story. I walked into one of your classrooms randomly, and I asked, who broke the luchas? And nobody would answer, and finally one child started to cry and scream that it wasn't him. The principal says, which classroom was it? He says, I'll show you. And they come to the classroom door. He says, no, no, don't go back in, please. Show me from the window which, which child it was. And from the window he shows him the child in the third row, the second seat. The, rabbi t- the principal turns to him and he says, listen, Rabbi, I'll tell you the truth. I know this child. I know his father, his grandfather was a founder of our synagogue. So I know three generations in this family. If he says he didn't break it, he didn't break it. Come on, son. 
we find the famous concept of Matan the fact that the Jews left Sinai, left Mitzrayim, I'm sorry, and arrived at Sinai. This nation had indulged and had unsunk down to 49 levels of impurity. And here they are just 49 days later, standing at the holiest place, reaching and achieving the holiest, the highest level, hearing the voice of God Himself, and receiving God's Torah. The Pasha tells us, verse 19, excuse me, chapter 19, verse 15, or 16, 16, it tells us that during Matantera there were Kailis Ubrakim, thunder and lightning. The Kilshefer Chazak Miyad, and a very long, strong blast of the Shefer. Why? Ask the child that's hearing this story for the first time. My child, why do you think that this went on? Why all this noise and this pompous, this... And the child will tell you simply, to put the fear of God in them. To put the fear of God in the world. We know that in chapter 20, verse 19, the Pasik says, Atem Reisem You saw physically that I spoke to you from heaven. They reached such a revelation by Har Sinai. Who needed to be shocked into fear? Who needed to be shocked with this noise, this pompous? What was this all about, really? They were here sitting preparing for this for seven weeks. They got to a point where the Almighty spoke to them and they saw the Almighty speaking. They saw voice, they saw what one would hear and heard what one would see. Why all the noise? The Melech tells us that until Matan there was a decree the decree was that those above do not come down below and those from below do not go up above. It was a decree. Gezeda. Gezeda is a Russian, is a word that means cut off. between the creations of above and below. Excuse me, the creations of below and its source above. The human being could not feel his source. That the Almighty was giving him life and constant existence. I had, interestingly, somebody today in my house from Colombia. And... um, we're discussing the concept of how does one sin? How does one do an Aveda? There's so much godliness. And all. how does one? And I asked him, do you thank God every morning when you wake up? He says, of course. Do you see the miracle that transpires when you woke up? Or do you just take it for granted like medicine does? I woke up. Last night I went to sleep. Today I woke up. Tomorrow I go to tonight I go to sleep. Tomorrow I wake up. Medicine, science tells us because that's the nature of the person, the nature of the beast. They go to sleep and they wake up. 
or like Rav Rav Moyen Oliver Shalom in California, 36 years old, who didn't wake up. He left number seven Pitzlach, seven Yisemim. Do we see the miracle, the godliness, every time we flex our fingers? Do we see the miracle and the godliness when we say and we utter a word? Until that point, there was no such concept. There was no way that a person could understand and grasp that what's going on now, what's transpiring with me, is godliness, is my connection to my source. But by Matanteda, when the Almighty came down on Harsinai, this decree was nullified. And the Jews, the creations, by every creation, a Jew is able to see its source and its where this comes from and where it derives its existence from. It was not just circumstance. So therefore we know that the concept of this rash, this noise, comes from something new. A new thought, a new creation, a new invention. Everybody trumpets it throughout. It becomes with what's called a gewalt. A gewalt. It's amazing. It's fascinating. And this is why the basis of all this rash, all the noise, all the koilis, the brokim by Martin Taylor, it wasn't just that someone should hear it and tremble. It was the essence of the spirituality that made the noise. Because the revelation of covered the covered Hashem of Matan Teda, which caused a Chiddush Otsum Veneda, a new, total new wonder in this world, that suddenly the Jews were able to see with their physical eyes that everything exists, not because of itself, not because of automatic pilot, but rather because God is connected to it. And therefore they felt the creation was everything was being made new and everything was existing every second from HaKadosh Baruch Hu And this Chiddush caused this tremendous noise, this tremendous blast. And as we said, Yisrael gets the credit. Look at the name of the Pasha being Yisrael. Look at the first thing we talk about is Yisrael and his actions. Let's try to take a scale of 1 to 10. And try to figure what would have been a better title, what would have been a better description. Being the priest of Midian and the priest of all other idol worship, or being the father in law of Moshe Rabbeinu, the leader of the Jewish nation the father-in-law of the person that went up for 40 days and 40 nights, neither eat nor drink, received the Torah and then went up to supplement by God and then ultimately received the second tablets. To be his father-in-law. I don't think you need to be a rocket scientist to figure out that obviously that it's more prestigious being Moshe's father-in-law than being the priest of Midian, at least in the Taylor sense. 
he might have made more money as a Korean Midian, but when you mention the Taylor, when you mention to the Jews, they definitely want to know that you are, they're more interested in you being Rachel's father-in-law than being the priest of Midian. But yet, the Taylor tells us, The Torah tells us that Yisrael heard the Kayin of Midian, the priest of Midian, the father-in-law of Mesha. Why would the Torah precede the title of being Kayin Midian before Chesin Mesha? But this is therefore what we exactly said before. Why the parasha is named after him. And why Yisrael's declaration of knowing that God is greater than Enviati Yadaiti. Now I know that God is greater. This is why we know this was a preparation for Matan Because his essence his Metzius came, as we said before, from the lowest of low, from the extreme, as far away from the spirituality and Kedusha as goes. And he reverted, he turned everything inside out to become Chayisein Moshe. Now the truth is, you could have said he was Tzipera's father. And by being Tzipera's father... Either you know your history or you don't know your history. You know that Tzipara was Moshe's wife or you don't know. Or not necessarily this Tzipara is talking about the same Tzipara. He could have been referred to as Tzipara's father, the wife of Moshe. Which would thereby minimize his connection to Moshe. It's not putting him, it's an indirect connection, the fact that he is the father of the wife of Moshe, but doesn't sound like the father-in-law. Father-in-law, mother-in-law. Okay. My wife doesn't let me make mother-in-law jokes. So on chance that she would hear this year, I have to stay away from them. The fact that he's being called the father-in-law of Mesha, and where does that pendulum swing from? It swings from Chayin Midyan. This is a higher level than ever before. To have said first that he was Chayin Mesha, and then say he was Chayin Midyan, it would say, how? Oh, he's Chayin Mesha, so what do I have to know even that he's Chayin Midyan? But the Tata says no. This Kayin Midyan, the epitome of impurity, of unholiness, became a Chayin Mesha, became a father in law to Mesha, a person that stands and tells Mesha and gives Mesha his opinion, and Mesha respects and listens to. first grave mistake we want to see Yisrael make the Pasuk tells us Vayikach Yisrael this is chapter 18 Psukim 12 and 13 Vayikach Yisrael Elu Zvachim he takes Karbanais Vayavay Arenuchim Lechelechem they sit down to eat bread in Chesim Meshav with Meshav's father-in-law on the very next day, Meshach sits down to rule the nation, to which Yisrael interjects and says, you're torturing the people. You can't do this on your own. You need to see to it. You delegate powers to others. The first mask. Excuse me, Rashi says, It was the next day. It was the day after Yom Kippur. 
telling us, therefore, that the meal, the Eila and the Zvachim that Yisrael brought, was on Yom Kippur. Wow! How can you tell me that the next day meant the day after Yom Kippur? Yisrael came on Yom Kippur, you want to tell me, and brought these Kabanis, these Eila and the Zvachim, and ate the bread on the holiest day of the year? You want to tell me he was still a Kayin Midian? I understand it. What does he have to do with you say it with in Kippur? But he telling me he's Chayin Meisha. He accepted everything the Jews are doing. How could he have sat and ate in Yom Kippur? And not only he sat, he kept out with Aaron as well. Simplest explanation. All the reasons, all the laws of Yom Kippur are because from this day the Almighty forgives the Jews. So the laws of Yom Kippur came because it became a day of Slicha and Kapara. If that's the case, that year it was not Metekif yet. It did not have effect yet. Because on that very day of Yom Kippur the Almighty forgave Moshe. He forgave the Jews. And he said, V'simcha, Salachti Kidvarachai, forgiven, as your words have said. So much so, that the Almighty says, Salachti, at that time yet, the day Yom Kippur was not considered yet Yom Kapara. And therefore, if it was not a Yom Kippurah, the dinim of Yom Kippur, of fasting, etc., did not have a place here. Because you can't say that Yom Kippur only started in the middle of the day. Yom Kippur starts from the night before. So now we understand how he sat down to eat bread, to bring kabbalas in Yom Kippur. Because that year it was not yet prohibited. Meisha goes out to the nation greets now God it says Yashnu lehem Yisrael kolaysa alayla the Jews slept that night. The fisheshina shel atzeres areva was sweet. Alayla katsara, and the nights are short at that time of the year. Barakadish baruchu, the Almighty comes to give them the tale matzah yishanam, and he finds them sleep yishanim, the sleeping. And Moshe awakens the Jews. says the message. At the end of Masechet Pesachim, the Ran writes that the Jews were counting. From when they left Egypt, they counted every single day. And they were so, so involved. And so psyched of getting the Tera. How then is it possible that the night before receiving the Tera, what do they do? They go to sleep. And a sweet sleep? You want to tell me they fell asleep sitting by the table? They fell asleep. I know the experience only too well. It's not comfortable. It's not pleasant. And it's hardly restful. You cop some Z's as they call it. 
Here it says though, they didn't have a fitful sleep, they weren't anxious, they weren't tossing and turning, saying, oh, I got to get up, because I have to get to Torah tomorrow morning. They slept like babies. Let us explain limitations. When the neshama is in our body, in our goof, it's limited. It's restrained. There's only X amount how much it can understand, how much it can grasp. But when the person is sleeping, the body is no longer ruling. And the neshama is nostalgic from the goof. It goes out. And it goes up Lamaila. When the neshama is above, it has that much more potential to reach and to achieve the highest of levels. To a level that it's impossible for it to achieve when it's in a body. So therefore we can understand that the Jews went to sleep that night for they felt that this would be the best preparation. Because the Neshama will go above and will be connected with God Himself. But even though they thought that way this was considered a sin for the Jews because the Tachlis of Matan was to see to it, as we said before, that the Gashmium, the Gzeda was the bottle, the, the decree was nullified, and it was like, the idea behind Matan is that now the world should be conquered, the world should be permeated with spirituality, with holiness from God. And therefore when they slept, they understood great things. But that was not the way for them to attach to God. They needed to attach the goof itself, not to separate itself from the goof and let the neshama reach to where it could go and the goof should still remain physical. The goof itself needed to be involved in this creation, involved in the Kabbalah of Teda. And yet we find Kof Aleim Harkigigis The mountain was hovering over their heads. And they were told I got a good deal for you. In our parasha the mountain says Chapter 19 verse 17 our sages tell us, The Almighty took the mountain and hovered it over their heads. And said to them, If you accept the Tera, beautiful. If not, this is your burial place. Therefore, Mikhan, from here we learn out, for those keeping score at home, Masech the Shabbos, 88, side 1, Peiches Amar Aleph. Tesis asks, on that page, the Divriya Maschum, Kofa, that the fact that Kofa Aleim Harkigigis, that the mountain was hovering over them, it lets us know that Kabbalah Satayra was because they were forced. If they were forced, then why does the Chazal, why do the sages trumpet and praise the Jews? Sheikh Dimu Yisrael, Nasa the Nishma. They said Nasa before Nishma. They said we will do before we will hear. By saying such, 
it means that they accepted the Torah, the best, in the greatest pleasure, with all their hearts. Let us explain this bepnimius. It is possible that a person should, God forbid, not take upon themselves the yoke of Torah and mitzvahs. How? If the person does not recognize fully with all his seichel and does not feel fully that only Torah and mitzvahs are pure, are good in his existence. And the opposite, God forbid, is totally bad. The closer one gets to the understanding and recognizing the goodness that there is a good of Torah mitzvahs minimizes the, God forbid, issue of one not accepting Torah. By standing in Sinai, they were 50 days away from Egypt. Egypt is known, <coughs> excuse me, as Ervas Oretz, the most decadent of lands. And they were destructive. How is it possible? Such a total swing, as it's called, Menakotza Lakotza, from one extreme to another, in the matter of just 50 days. People that were 49 levels of impurity in Ervasaretz to reach to a belief that Teira is all that we have. Teira is all that we need. Teira is our full existence in life. The fact that the Jews introduced Nasser before Nishma. They said, before we have to hear what we're willing to do, and they recognized the mile of Teda, was not because they reached this level, not because they actually understood it properly, but rather because Kafwalehim, because that mountain was hovering over their heads. Until they saw B'muchesh, the Torah mitzvahs are really, in essence, the ultimate good. And understood that without Torah, there was no life. At that point, a person can say full-heartedly, Nasevinishma. But since they didn't have this on their own, it did not come from their own initiative, because they were not at that level yet. It came as a lightning bolt to them. Therefore, only after Matan Teda, that even though they accepted it, it was not the Ratzin of themselves. After Matan Teda, when they didn't feel the light that cut, recognizes the truth, then remained within them the concept of continuing to learn Teda and do its mitzvahs as a chore. It became something they need to work on rather than that actual Nasev and attitude. You know, my friends, sometimes we give a backhanded compliment. First of all, I'd like to give as a Karasatev here to my hosts, I'm here in Muncie, New York, and Baruch Hashem, a wedding that I have because of the relative wedding, and therefore I have to be at the wedding, so we took a break, and we have a host here in Muncie, New York, that's hosting the Shir tonight. So if you're looking at the background on Skype, you see it's different than the usual Shir, you know why. Um, but sometimes a person gives a, a little backhanded compliment. 
I love that car, but I've seen better. I've seen nicer. You've got a uh, beautiful house, but uh, you know the roof leaks over there. Bathrooms don't work too well. Backhanded, back back door compliments. The Torah tells us a very interesting pasuk. Vayichan sham Yisrael negedahar. The Jews came to rest by the foot of the mountain. Or rather, let us take the whole pasuk. By Yisumirafidim, they traveled from Rafidim. By Avoyu Midbasinai, they came to Midbasinai. This is chapter 19, verse 2. By they rested in the Midbar. By Yichan Sham Yisrael Negadahar. Rashi then writes the chap, the cap, the, I have a very short time now. So we need to do this in a, in a capsule. Rashi takes the caption, Vayichan Sham Yisrael, and writes, Ki Echad Echad. Why Vayichan is written singular, not Vayachinu, plural? Because they were one person, one heart. Aval Shar But the rest of the times when they came to rest, they were always arguing around. So the first question that we obviously have is what's with the backwards compliment? You're complimenting the Ish Echad Echad. Why ruin it? Another thing, why does it have to say if it's telling us Vayichan is Lashn Yachid, why does it say Vayichan Sham Yisrael? Why does it check the title of the Rashi to have the word Yisrael? The word Sham the word Sham, Vayichan Sham Yisrael, I understand. Rashi is using that to explain why the other places was not as such, was not the same. Only here, Sham, was it like that, but not anywhere else. Why the word Yisrael? And besides, there are times when the word is singular, sometimes plural, when it comes to a nation. Why all of a sudden does Rashi take for granted this is Kiyashechad? Another thing Rashi takes the word, the explanation from the Mechilta. In the Mechilta it says, Whenever it says, they went in an argument and they, they traveled in an argument and rested. Here he compares one heart. Therefore, it's I don't understand. In the Mechilta, it says only the word Machlekes. And Rashi has the word Tarumais. In the Mechilta, he finishes off, therefore, it says, And Rashi doesn't leave these words even. He doesn't use the word Negadahar. The explanation simply takes us a picture lets us see in our mind's eye the concept of Chanub and Yisrael and they prepared themselves for Kabbalah Satayda and they rested here they all were ready in one. Obviously there were many different ways many different people how they did this but still in all the Vayichan Sham Yisrael is the concept of that Yisrael was Ishechad Echad. Actually, in the explanation of this Sicha itself, the Sicha goes into great length, the difference between Ishechad Echad and Levechad Echad, which is mentioned last week by the Mitzrayim. The difference, Rashi says, Machlekes, is between a person themselves being the opposite of Ish Echad 
And Terumes is the opposite of, is arguing with a God, with God Himself, which is the opposite of Levechad. And therefore, since Rashi said, Ishechad, Levechad, therefore Rashi says, the other cases was the total opposite of that. May we all merit that this very Shabbos we all stand together, united once again with Mashiach Tzidkenu in Yerushalayim Irakadish, and we hear the words of Terah. To an extent that only Mashiach can tell us in Yerushalayim Rakadesh, Shabbat Shalom to all.